What is Pay It Forward? In each episode, we team up two women from the same sector, but at very different stages in their career. They share their biggest issues, nuggets of advice and leadership lessons. This is live mentoring and you're listening in. I'm your host, Kate Bassett, and today I'm joined by two amazing women in media. The first is publishing powerhouse Trish Halpin. She has spent her career shaping women's magazines, editing Red, More, New Woman and Marie Claire. Now she's an editorial consultant and co-host of Postcards from Midlife, a podcast that tackles everything from coping with the menopause to living with angst-ridden teens. We paired Trish with rising star Nikki Kemp, managing editor of Byte at Creative Brief. She was named one of the 200 women redefining the creative industry and a campaign trailblazer of the future. Welcome to you both, Trish and Nikki. Um, so just to kick off, I'd love to hear how you both got into media and your proudest moment in your career so far, starting with you, Trish. Very pleased to be here, Kate. So thank you and to The Fold for inviting me and lovely to meet you, um, Nikki. Um, So in terms of my career, I'm going to be really honest and say I had absolutely no ambition to get into journalism or into magazines. I think um, when I was at school, I went to a comprehensive school in, in North London, Um, Your career's advice was very much based around kind of uh, the professions like teaching or nursing. And I just knew that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that sort of career, but I didn't know what I did want to do. Um, And I actually ended up studying media um, for my degree and came out and thought, oh, what shall I do? And at the time, it was a really good time for publishing. There were so many jobs. You could look at the back of the Guardian newspaper and there were just pages and pages of jobs um, there for sort of young, aspiring people who might want to work in publishing. And that's sort of, I got my foot on the ladder and then just managed to to work my way up. So um, my sort of proudest moment or my biggest milestone really, I think, was when I became editor of Marie Claire magazine in 2009, because I remember when the very first issue launched um, uh, in 1988. And I remember buying it as a student and thinking, God, this is amazing. And, you know, the mix of the reportage and fashion and beauty. And if you told me then that I was going to become editor one day I think I would have probably fallen on the floor because there is no way that I would have ever had the confidence or ambition to think that I could have got there but I gradually did. Um, and you left after a decade at Marie Claire and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yes so um, I've actually been in the world of freelance or as it's called portfolio career um, now. I've uh, It's interesting because I've been employed pretty much consistently for 30 years so I've worked within organisations for three decades to now be out there as my own person doing my own thing is on the one hand incredibly liberating and exciting um, because things pop up all the time that I would never have been able to do, um, you know, being working full time for somebody else. But it's also, uh, you know, it's a little bit nerve wracking. I'm a bit like, wow, it's just me. Normally I have a huge team around me. I have a huge team of um, supportive um, managers and bosses, as well as my own teams that I manage. And now it's just me. But, you know, it's exciting. I'm really relishing having a new challenge. Mm -hmm. And Nikki, how did you get into media? Um, So I did quite a sort of traditional path, um, if I'm honest. I worked on the university newspaper when I was at uni, um, and then I did um, a master's in multimedia journalism. It was only accredited halfway through because it was the first internet uh, journalism course. Um, And I've just always really loved, I did a history degree, and I've always loved people and researching and writing. So 
for me, it was kind of a no a no brainer. Um, actually, I, I was I was thinking when you were chatting, I used to read Marie Claire. I used to have a weekend job on the fudge counter of Asda, <laughs> very glamorous, um, and I would always read Marie Claire and Cosmo. And I just I've just always loved journalism. But um, I think when I decided that's what I wanted to do, I I did actually go straight into financial journalism, which was slightly left field for me because I'm I'm not really a financial person. But I just I wanted to get to grips with the business side of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, and and from there, I, I I specialized in media and luxury goods, um, and then I got offered a job at a, a company called EMAP um, on one of their international titles, um, just focusing on media, and I focused on media and marketing ever since. So, yeah, I kind of found what it was that I liked because if I'm honest I didn't massively enjoy financial journalism but I learned a lot from it actually things that I still use today like I'm not scared of figures or business um and then I just yeah I just kept having a good time and enjoying it and being happy so it's great you're still having a good time and feeling happy but what is it that keeps you awake at night at the moment what are some of the big challenges you're facing I think it's really interesting because um, in the advertising industry, um, which I'm sort of part of, the average age is about 33. Like there's not a lot of people um, over 40 in the ad industry. And I I turned 40 this year and and my children are now a bit older and they're four and six um, and they're at school. So for me, it's kind of now, now I'm really ready to be ambitious in a way that I probably wasn't about five years ago. But I work a four-day week and I'm really passionate about flexibility and ambition not being mutually exclusive pursuits. But yet I do worry that because I talk about flexibility so much and I advocate for it on behalf of others as well, that it's going to be seen that I'm not ambitious, if that makes sense. So that 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 worries me and keeps me awake sometimes worrying about that. Could you move further up the ladder on a four day week? I hope so. And and I've got to be honest, I think I stayed before I took this. So I've been in this role for about eight months. And before I probably was ready for this role about three years ago. But because I held so many red lines over well, I need to be able to do this. I don't want to miss sports day. And it just so happens the biggest conference in our industry, the Cannes Advertising Festival, is always the week of sports day. It's like, well, if I go to a new company, will they enable me to, you know, these sound like really micro things, but because I value being there for those things, that's a really big sacrifice um, for me to make. But I think I've sort of overcome it personally in that I kind of approach it now from how can I make this work for me rather than why is this not going to work, if that makes sense. But I just feel a responsibility as part of this transition generation of men and women who want to work in different ways to be quite vocal about the need for that. And I'm not sure if the industry as a whole is actually that progressive when it comes to flexible working. Trish, did you find that was a challenge for you in your career, um, particularly when you had twins? Mm. Yeah, so my my twins are um, 16 years old now. And when I had them, I didn't even consider asking for flexible working, even though legally you were, you were allowed to. I felt I was an editor, I was editing Red Magazine at the time. And I felt exactly like you, if I ask for this, it shows that I'm, I'm not taking this job seriously. 
But I think sort of fast forward 16 years, um, things have changed. And, um, you know, it is something that uh, that women can have. And it, the conversation is out there, which I think is just really important. There are so many people advocating for it. And I think, Nikki, I think you advocating for it within your company is really important. In, at Marie Claire, um, the last year we were allowed to have flexible working. And I cannot tell you the difference it made to most of my team were women, the, the difference it made to their lives um, and to their, to you know, I think it makes people incredibly loyal because for you to, tr- to be trusted in that way, um, I think people uh, really, really appreciate that. It makes them very loyal and very, I would say, more hardworking and so appreciative. So I think industries have to get real and I think Nikki Nikki, you're going to have to be a bit of a a pioneer in this Um, so I would say my advice would be to carry on um, talking about it speaking about it but I think for you personally maybe just don't worry too much about thinking ahead because you don't know what the next job is going to be around the corner you don't know who that person is who's going to be employing you but I think we all as women owe it to each other to um to, to kind of fight for this cause for sure. Trish you've been sort of on the other side of the table as mm. um editor of Marie Claire if a member of your team was looking for a promotion but said I want to do it on a four-day week would you have made a judgment over their level of ambition and what would have been a good way for them to pitch it to you? I think um, if it was somebody, I think there's two things. If it's somebody on the team, that's one thing because you know that person incredibly well. And, you know, I was always thinking about sort of, as as a manager, you're always thinking about succession planning for your team, or you should be if if you're a good manager. Where are they going? What are they likely to do? What, you know, I know that in a year's time, they're going to want to come and talk to me about something else. How much do I want to keep that person? And then you've always got them in, you know, in the back of your mind. If, if a role leaves, you might restructure something over here, you know, so that would be how I would approach it. So therefore, then with flexible working or wanting to reduce hours, I would, um, you know, work that in and if it was feasible. So a lot of my staff, um, uh, actually pretty much every single one of my staff, when they took maternity leave, they took the full year. That was the first thing. So when I, again, when I was taking maternity leave, I took six months and at that time, because I had twins, um, and at that time that was seen as, wow, six months, that's a long time. But now I think it's, you know, women are much braver on that front as well and they will take a year. And then my boss whose children are in their 20s, she said she took three months, you know, and you think, so if you think with every sort of half generation, how much it's changing, I think that's amazing. Back to your question, Kate, sorry, um, to set, to talk about though, when you're at, at, um, applying for an external role, so an, into another company, we were talking about this, yeah. weren't we, Nikki, and saying, well, how do you, at what point do you judge, when do you bring up the flexible uh, working question. If it really is a non-negotiable for you, you might as well be honest about that, I think. I don't know what I you definitely think? agree. I think there's also a really great role for actually really, really good recruitment consultants. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful recruitment consultant. And I don't think if I if it if it wasn't for Sarah, I think I would have ruled things out that that were actually right for me and that I had potential for. Um, Also, I think it works both ways because when I sort of decided I was going to make the leap, I had uh, two interviews at a job that if you'd have told me that they were going to ask me for a third interview for that role, I would have been like, oh, amazing. I will walk over broken glass to to write for that wonderful magazine. But actually, in reality, in the second interview, when I talked about flexible working, I knew it wasn't the right 
place for me. And I actually decided not to go for a third interview there. Whereas with the role I have now, it was actually my CEO that brought it up. I didn't even have to have that conversation. He was proactive. You know, it, you know, it doesn't take that much research on me to see that I've written a lot about flexible working and I value that. And just the contrast of the two approaches, it was just, it just made it so easy for me to make a decision which actually on paper would be quite difficult to make. Trish, I wanted to ask you, what's keeping you awake at night at the moment? Um, I think for me, uh, touching on the kind of portfolio career side of things and the idea that you are your own brand when you become you know, a freelance person, it's just you and how and how you project your brand and what, what it says about you. And I think for me, I think the idea of social media and um, how do I use social media in a way that is going to enhance me, but isn't going to give too much away. I'm not a massively, um, I'm not a massive sharer. Um, and I'm quite a private person, but equally, obviously, I use social media all the time for, for work when I was at Marie Claire. But it's how do I transfer that to me as a brand? Mm-hmm. And Nikki, I'm quite interested because I'm, you're, I'm a generation where social media was the add-on to what I'm doing. Whereas I think for your generation, it's always been there in the workplace and it's absolutely intrinsic yeah. to, to kind of what you do. So what would your I advice be on that? I think it's really important to have boundaries with your social media Um, and also I think it's really interesting because when I look at how um, some business leaders use and and people within media use social media they're not using using it for listening enough if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and I think if you can see it as just as much a tool for listening and inspiration and creativity as you do as a sort of performance living I don't like this whole performative living element of it and I think it's probably quite different because I've always approached it from a business perspective so I'm very active on LinkedIn I'm very active on Twitter I mean Instagram and Facebook is just loads of pictures of my kids like that's (laughs) sort of a a private a private space for me really and but I do think it is important to have what are you doing on LinkedIn what is it that you're so I research mm-hmm. um, people for events. Um, I read a lot of articles. I comment on articles that I'm interested in. Um, it is, there are challenges in it in that you're actually having to manage a lot of different inboxes because I've noticed now I'll get pitched ideas on LinkedIn, Twitter, and email. And sometimes that can feel a little bit sort of overwhelming. Um, But, you know, I put my phone to bed at night and it it stays in its little bed. Um, So it actually has a bed. It has a bed. I've got the bed. So I had one of those moments where, in complete transparency, about six months ago, my six-year-old said to me, mummy, stop looking at your phone, look at me. And I just thought, okay, he's absolutely right. I need to be more present in the moment, whereas actually I'm trying to record all these moments and actually it's just put it down because I also think it's not a very productive way of communicating from a work perspective sometimes because, you know, especially if you're working a four-day week on that Friday, you might just, oh, well, I'll just reply to this. Um, And yes, obviously, you know, there's things that are urgent and you definitely have to do that, but you can get into a space where you're just kind of inviting more to and froing about something without giving it the proper 
consideration it deserves. So I read something earlier this year that the absolute um, minefield that is alpha six-year-old boys in the playground. I mean, digital marketing is so simple compared to this. But I was reading this book by the psychologist and it said, the enemy of love in, in modern life is, is not hate, it's hurry. And I feel like social media makes us hurry too much. We're in too much of a hurry to present a version of ourselves that might not be real. And we're not really thinking about the impact of that on the people around us who we love, who we need to be present for. And I think we are all collectively in this process. And particularly, you know, if you've got teenagers of rewriting our own boundaries and rule book as to how we operate on these incredible platforms that are wonderful. And I've met some incredible, incredible people um, on social media and WhatsApp groups as well. I mean, you don't need the old boys network if you are on digital leading ladies on WhatsApp, because Mm -hmm. you've got this whole community of people that you can access straight away. So I think it is about honing in on what it can do for you, who it can connect you with, what you can do on it, who you can support through it. Mm -hmm. You know, I get lots of people saying, oh, could you give me some advice on this and that? And it's like, yeah, of course, you know, have a look at this, but also just having firm boundaries and Mm -hmm. maybe a silly little phone band I think at the moment I'm I'm all boundaries and not enough. (laughs) I think I need to, I think that's really good advice. And I think what I need to do is give myself permission to spend a morning on LinkedIn reading articles and um, researching and doing all of that because to me it's like oh it's a tool it's a tool I just have to use it and move on and get on with my next job whereas actually I'm the opposite I could actually afford to spend a bit more time delving into it rather than without trying to get too sucked in, I think, yeah. would be the thing. I, I wanted to mention a book, actually, which touched on your point, Nikki, that I read, which um, uh, which I found really helpful. And it's called Time to Think, Listening to Ignite the Human Mind by an American writer called Nancy Klein. And I just found it incredibly helpful because it's all about how we don't listen anymore. We don't listen to people. We don't listen to what anybody's really saying. And we're not processing, you know, our thoughts and, um, you know, listening to some genuinely listening to someone is one of the most powerful things you can can do for them and it it's something that makes people feel really valued and um um, I did a, a, a trained as a, a coach um a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm also doing some uh, career coaching and that is one of the first things you have to do is learn how to listen to people and you would be surprised how actually difficult it is just to sit there and shut up and listen to them and actually properly hear what they're saying and in your career Trish who has listened to you when you're when you've struggled or you've had a tough day who have you turned to for support and advice well I think I've been very lucky in the business that I've been in in that it's full it was full of really um, brilliant like-minded women and it was very easy to kind of create networks and make friends I've made so many very very good friends who um, you know that I've worked with that have been my bosses and that's incredibly valuable to me and it was just it's just been interesting again moving you know from the inside out as I have done recently and seeing how that network has come into play and um, the people that um, have said come for a coffee let's have a chat you know, it's been really really nice so I think um, you know creating networks where you work or where you used to work keeping in touch with those people I think is really valuable and that you can just offload they get it they understand it they know the business and I think that's been really valuable to me. 
Nikki, who do you offload to? I think that's such good advice actually about, and I think it's it's one of those things like being quite British, the whole kind of mentoring thing kind of makes me slightly uncomfortable. Um, but actually networks and, you know, I've, I've worked with some wonderful people that are now, you know, I'm godmother to their children, they're godmother to my, I've been to their weddings, I've watched them, you know, I, I am so invested in their well-being, not just their kind of journalistic careers. And I've just been really lucky in that I just feel like I've got a really good team of people who I really trust, who can also be brutally honest with me and who can disagree with me as well. And I think that can really, really um, be a benefit to you. And I often find when I'm talking to women about challenges that they're having in their careers or decisions that they're making, a lot of the time, the reason why they stay at company too long or they don't move is because of the people. And I just think you take good people with you. I think that's what you do. And 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 that's, I love hearing that. The, the, the network comes into play and it's it's when you face challenges or or when you just need somebody to vent to because I I really dislike negativity in the workplace. I think if you have a challenge within the workplace, sometimes the best thing to do is to take it outside of that bubble and just vent on somebody else and, and get a different perspective, really. Mm-hmm. And ideally over a glass of wine. Always. <laughs> yes, your girlfriend, somebody said to me, your girlfriends are like your oxygen, aren't they? They help you breathe. They really do. And I think that's that's hugely important. But I, I think, you know, I mentioned a book, there's so many good pop podcasts out there as well that you can listen to that again getting the outside perspective and I think you need to invest time in thinking about your career in that way I I think you can't just keep going to work every day and looking for the next promotion you need to invest time in um in, in that and thinking about it and, uh, you know, thinking about what your strengths are and uh, understanding, um, you know, other kind of points of view of looking at things. I think that's really important. Mm. Nikki, picking up on your point about us always being in a hurry, um, which I think is so true and, and really interesting. How do you stay sane? I think in, in complete transparency, I think it's very, very challenging. I work in a really digital business. It's very fast paced. And sometimes you'll have days where you'll go, wow, I did not, I did not touch the surface of that day, you know. But I think for me and, and for my sanity it is silliness, which I know sounds really, really basic and kindness. It's, it's trying to sort of be a bit kinder on your diary and your scheduling, um, but also just not always taking everything massively seriously. Like there can be a little bit of a space to have a joke and having young children, you know, you know what it's like, you go to work with a Rice Krispie in your hair mm. and you're giving a presentation and then you realize actually you've got two Rice Krispies in your hair and it's kind of, you thought you were living your best life and actually <laughs> you are not, or you've got two different shoes on or whatever it is. And I think it's just giving yourself permission actually to not be perfect. And I, I, pers- I really think for women in business, um, there is sometimes a myth of perfection that just holds us all back. And I just think if we could just put that to one side, be kind, be a bit silly, um, and and actually just start from the assumption that most of the time people want the best for you. You know, you find the good people 
and you stick with them, I think you can stay sane and also lots of coffee. It's yeah. impossible to do it without help, isn't it? Let's, but, you know, and I think we're not honest about that. And if we just pretend it's all happening and it's all yeah. smooth and, uh, you know, we have to acknowledge that we need childcare, that we need family care. We need all sorts of different things to actually make this Definitely. come together yeah. and happen. Um, Trish, how do you stay sane? Um, mine mine is, is very much about going to the gym. And when my children were younger and your age, it's, it's really hard to find that time um, to, to make it happen when you're in a full-time job as well. But um, it was something that I always um, kept doing. You know, I'd have, um, I actually found a gym at work so I could go at lunchtime. Now that my kids are older, um, uh, I just go to a, a gym at home. But it's it's swimming. I, I kind of think about it in, in three different ways. Sort of meditative, I do swimming. So something quite relaxing and nice for my brain. Um, uh, then something very sort of fitness kind of spinning or something like that. And then it's about sort of yo- stretching. Because when you get to my age, you need to keep it all oiled and all working. <laughs> so um, you need your yoga or your Pilates. So I try and think across sort of like mind and body in, in that way. And if that means having to, um, as it used to, when I was working, getting up at 6.15 and going to the gym, being in the swimming pool at 6.30 or 6.35, then that's what I, I would do. And sometimes, some mornings it's like, oh, but the benefits are amazing. Mm. I think. I'm also um, curious to ask you both about your work style and how that has evolved over the years. Um, And particularly with you, Trish, going into this new phase of your career. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So um, obviously, I've been very lucky to work within within fashion because obviously magazines, um, uh, you know, have a huge content of fashion. And I would have to go to fashion weeks, um, which obviously are a huge pressure in themselves. What do you wear? It's a bit of a nightmare. But um, uh, and I've also worked with a lot of very fashionable women because your fashion teams are very fashionable. And um, so fashion to me has become really important. And it's about how do you find your sense of style and understanding what you feel really comfortable in but that looks good and I think fashion is is important because it 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 can say something about you before you've even opened your mouth so quite I think it's quite nice to think about well what do I want to say today do I want to look polished and professional or do I want to look um you know something else um and so I think there's and I think just even getting dressed in the morning when you put on something amazing can really affect your mood as well. I think it can make you feel really good. But in terms of my personal style, I would say that um, it's very much about uh, kind of tailored jackets, um, smart trousers, and then kind of statement blouses and shirts, and then really nice accessories. So either some really cool jewellery or vibrant coloured handbag and shoes. Can't go wrong with some amazing shoes. You know, if you're having a bad morning, if you just pick up a nice handbag and throw on some shoes, I think that's really, um, really nice. And how about you, Nikki? Because you started in financial journalism. So it's the way you dress now very different to how you dressed back Definitely. then. Definitely. I think it's so interesting because I I really dislike the narrative about fashion sometimes that comes up that it's frivolous because I think fashion can be such a fearless, fun, feminist act. And I, I look at my own kind of workwear style. I don't actually have a workwear style now, if I'm honest. I think, but when I started my career, I was definitely dressing as somebody else like portrait of a woman pretending to be a financial journalist (laughs) in a very black suit and and now I think I just especially once you've had children as well and your body changes and 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 your idea of your body changes I think I I actually think so I turned 40 last year which is wonderful I, I very much recommend it 
And actually, I just dress the way I want now. I'm not dressing to hide any flaws that I do have in my body because it has grown two very beautiful children. But it's now describe what you're wearing (laughs) today on this podcast because it's amazing. (laughs) Tell us what you're wearing. Um, I'm wearing a yellow leather skirt. I've got some very extra um, sparkly silver trainers on, um, and um, what my husband politely calls my ACDC top. Uh, So yeah, I just I love. I love it. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think the ability to, and I know I know it's a cliche, that whole bring yourself to work, but actually the ability to just dress to your mood is wonderful. And I like to wear a lot of colour, um, especially in January, because I do not like January. So I dress happy. <laughs> I wanted to ask you both about the um, biggest leadership lessons you've learned or practical nuggets of advice that you would want to pass on to other women? Nikki? I think this is such an interesting area and I was thinking back because I've had so many, I've been really lucky I've had so many brilliant, brilliant bosses and and I think actually one of the things that's really stuck with me is real leadership happens when no one's looking and I think actually in coming through traditional publishing it's been a very, very challenging business environment you know I've worked at a lot of magazines where either a lot of people have been made redundant or the magazine has folded and actually you see true leadership when people are under pressure um, and and then not doing something that everyone else can see so I think that idea of actually really doubling down on supporting the people within your team emotionally and investing the time to talk to them about what they need. And and to Trisha's point earlier, like listening, I think this idea of active listening is something that I am really, really focused on, um, particularly because I feel like there's so many generations in the workplace now. We've got so many different um, ideas of what is normal. Um, I think those are really great points, actually, Nikki, and I I agree with all of them. Um, uh, I think... um, your point about is what, what happens when nobody's looking. Um, somebody sent me um, a message when I left Marie Claire and they said, um, you know, what you did, did was you brought brilliant people together and you let them shine. And I've, I, that was really, that was like one of the things that really moved me. And I think it's about, um, you've, you've employed these people because they're really good. So uh, let them do what they need to do. And it's a bit like, it's actually a bit like having children. <laughs> it's a bit like having teenagers. It's that thing of like, you know, they have the kind of, are you a tiger? mum or are you uh there's various different ones there's also are you a dolphin and you want to be the dolphin because the dolphin is just swimming along beside them but there to support them if they need it (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's what you need to do in leadership you need to um have uh you have to bring your team together but you have to have very clear communication I think that is without doubt you know what is what is it that we're trying to do here as a team what are we where are we trying to get to and how are we going to get there and being very, very clear about that. So communication and um, supporting your team. So Trish, I wanted to ask you what you're doing to support and lift up other women. Um, well, I think I've been very lucky in my career in that women's magazines are exactly about that. They've always been about, um, you know, supporting, inspiring and telling stories of women. So in my next incarnation with my portfolio career um, and my podcast, uh, Postcards from Midlife, which I'm doing with um, Lorraine Candy, who's a friend of mine. She's the editor of Sunday Times Style magazine. And as it says on the tin, it's about um, being a woman in your midlife. And I think one of the 
things that's really come out of that uh, for both of us is how important it is that women start talking about menopause much, much, much earlier than uh, they have that than we do. We don't really even talk about it as a society. So that's kind of a big strand in the podcast. And I think it's really important that women who are approaching their 40s start becoming aware of what it might do to them and how it might affect them and how it might affect them in their career, particularly because it's not easy having, you know, uh, hot flushes or joint pain or any of those things. And I think a lot of the problem is that we don't know it's happening to us until it's happened. And you sort of think you're kind of going a bit mad and, you know, having, you know, anxiety and panic attacks and everything's unraveling. But it's actually there's a very good physical reason for it. So I think if we can build the awareness around that and, and be the generation of women who are really having that conversation, that's one of the things. I think on a practical level for anyone who even has a little time um, to give, you can volunteer for an organisation called Inspiring the Future which was set up by um, Miriam Gonzalez Durante. And um, they ask you to commit just one hour a year. It's quite amazing. Just commit one hour of your, uh, your, your year. And basically, you get matched up with schools in your local area and you can go in and give talks and workshops and things like that. So I think, you know, imagine if every woman did that, how many girls in this country we could really help inspire on their kind of um, academic and career journeys. What an amazing initiative. Nikki? Um, so it's interesting to Trisha's point on the menopause, because I think there is this really exciting shift happening um, creatively as well. I think so much of women's experiences have been wordless, whether it's the experience of motherhood or, or menopause um, or even periods like, you know, the blood normal campaign has done a, a huge, huge job in kind of normalizing the conversations that we have around periods. Um, so for me, that's why I'm on the advisory board of Creative Equals, um, and we're an organisation um, that's trying to put those women's stories and the representation of those women's stories front and centre in advertising, which is starting to happen. You know, Holland and Barrett had a Me No Pause campaign, um, and we think the menopause is, is a key area every massive life stage. If you think about how many products and services there are for men when they have their midlife crisis and you compare that with the menopause, you know, we need to be normalizing and talking about these things. Also, um, I work with NABS. Um, we do a program called Fast Forward um, to help people coming into the industry um, and anyone suffering with any kind of mental health issues or they need support or they want some advice on flexible working requests, um, then I definitely um, suggest um, the services and support of NABS. Um, and then just the final thing is Bloom. And Bloom is a really important organization and has been really, really helpful to me in my career. And I'm now really lucky to support them um, because it helps women in the mid stages of their career. And in media and advertising, we know that that is the pinch point. You know, women hit, a, it's, it's a glass wall or glass ceiling or concrete wall, whatever you want to call it. But we are losing huge amounts of talent um, from our industry. And what Bloom is doing by bringing real voices to the fore, they have a booth of truth and you can actually share experiences that you've had is kind of really bring that lived experience of women in the workplace to the fore. So I'd urge people to have a look at Bloom and the work that they're doing because it's really, really transformative. So put your phone to bed, give yourself time to think, listen, let other people shine and be the dolphin. Thank you both to our guests today, Nikki and Trish. Thank, Thank you. you. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Pay It Forward. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe and please rate and review us to spread the word and pay it forward. For any links and key takeaways, check out our session notes.